Welcome to Season 4 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Before we get started, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you that have subscribed, listened and reviewed the episodes. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Today I have another very exciting episode for you. Bose Jern Thompson is the Vice President and Chair of Learning Through Play at the LEGO Foundation. His research centres around how children and adults learn through play and he's provided consultation at the bilateral, regional and multilateral levels to international partners and leaders. Bo has published widely on creativity, play and learning and most recently on the role of play for children's learning in schools. In this wide-ranging discussion we talked about if and how we should even assess creativity, the importance of making meals together, the role of playing and why he built his own house for the tree inside of it. Wherever you're listening from today, I'm so glad you took the time to listen. Please enjoy this discussion with the amazing Bose Jen Thompson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where are you uh, phoning in from? I'm uh, in from Boston on the east coast of the US right now. Fantastic. What's it like over there? Is it is it cold? Is it uh, Are you rugged up? It's pretty cold, I must say. It's not snowing as much as one would expect, but yeah. uh, it's pretty cold outside. It's clear and bright. Fantastic. And I uh, understand that you're originally from uh, Denmark. Do you miss home this time of year? Uh, I I not usually miss home because home is where my family is. So yeah. I'm delighted to have my wife and two kids here. And uh, Boston is almost like a second home since we lived here almost 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you always miss a little bit the extended family. Yeah, absolutely. And quite possibly the most important uh, question for our interview today, uh, what is your coffee order? So uh, I'm usually drinking uh, a cochado, uh, which is, uh, you know, an espresso or usually a double espresso with a little, uh, little piece of foamed milk uh, on top um, or an espresso macchiato. So a strong coffee with a little bit of milk. Fantastic. Do you think uh, your coffee choice says anything about your personality? Are you uh, straight to the point? Do you, uh, do you prefer a, a strong drink? Uh, do you think it reveals something about your, your personality? I'm sure that most things we do reveal something about our personality. So absolutely, let also do that. And maybe it says also that it was quite, quite difficult for me to select just one type of coffee. <laughs> but probably it changed a little bit as, as I go. Fantastic. Uh, what's an item that is still on your bucket list? So I, I, I'm, I'm quite fascinated with the idea about bucket lists. And uh, I'm beginning to realize that I don't have a bucket list. Okay. Uh, and the reason being is that sometimes I figure out that bucket lists sometimes draw attention away from just what's immediately in front of you. Yeah. So obviously I've done a lot of things uh, from designing my own house to scuba diving and parachuting and all kind of, uh, of stuff. But, but, but I realized that if you have bucket lists, you know, you sometimes miss just taking the opportunities as they come, uh, you know, grasping what your friend uh, invites you to do or what's immediately in the neighborhood. So I think we should be careful about having two ambitious bucket lists and then just capture the moments as they appear. Fantastic. There is no right or wrong answer to these questions. I just think it's very, uh, 
it's interesting. What a wonderful take um, uh, that you obviously need to be open to these uh, to these new opportunities. I think that's a really mm -hmm. great point. Um, but just curious, is there a uh, a book that you have read that has caused you to reconsider everything? It could be a book related to your area of expertise. It could be an incredible work of fiction. But is there something that's really had an impact on you? So I read a lot of books, and that's part of my job, obviously. Um, but one of the recent ones I read was by Martin Seligman, who is uh, absolutely one of the greatest psychologists of, of this century. Um, it's called Homo Prospectus. Um, and what it talks about it, uh, is that humans benefit from having this positive mental thoughts about the future. So often we think about, you know, it's our ability to, uh, to develop skills and uh, ability to face challenges and so forth and makes us grow. But actually what's critical is that we have this strong positive vision which actually guides our well-being and our ability to learn. So humans have this capacity to imagine, to think about what is not in place. And it's so essential for our well-being and it drives our, our growth. So that homo prospectus is actually a critical one. I just want to add, I want to add one more because there's a, a recent book called Love, Money and Parenting. And it's a, it's a, it's a book by a group of uh, econ uh, economists who really articulate how difficult it is to talk about play and practice play if you are under really difficult socioeconomic circumstances. Yeah. So really trying to wow. you know, preach, you have to play and interact and stimulate, stimulate your children, but you're coming from an extremely competitive, high stake environment where you work from seven in the morning to seven in the evening. So this challenge, the equity challenge of promoting play is something that's really clearly articulated in, in that book. So, so there's a kind of a future visioning piece and then there's kind of the reality check into how uh, our society has certain challenges right now. Wow, it's fascinating. I'm uh, uh, frantically scribbling down all these book book um, uh, recommendations, and I'll um, I'll put these in the show notes um, on, on the podcast so people can access them. Um, if you could have a dinner party uh, with anybody, who would be there? Obviously, your wife and your wonderful children uh, don't count in the headcount. Uh, but is there someone mm. that you, a group of people that you would love to sit down with, either people who have passed or people that are here with us now that you think would make an amazing dinner party? Um, I, I actually, you, you, you mentioned my wife and children, and that's absolutely the best dinner party. It was just reminding me that I realized some of the data that is, exists around people eating together and families. It's actually, yeah. I think 40% of families eat their dinners in cars while they travel. So this idea about having dinner together is actually, you know, not necessarily common in, in all cultures. But, but, but what I really like about dinner and partying is usually making dinner together. So if I should select something, mm -hmm. I would love to have two very opposite opinions, like two presidents, we can name anyone uh, from yes. different countries also, who yeah. really disagree about something, and then have them making dinner together. Because wow. I think this opportunity to make dinner together, to play together, is really how we get to know each other. And just finding that opportunity to have conversations with people that have very opposite uh, perspectives, you know, that would be fun as part of a dinner party. Wow, that's that's a really uh, that's a really wonderful perspective. I'm currently sitting at our dinner table um, uh, as I'm talking to you, and our dinner table was quite possibly one of the best investments in our house. And mm -hmm. so every night we have 
like as I said before we hit record, we have a two and a half year old and a four and a half year old and dinner time is chaos at our house. But mm -hmm. we make sure that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we stop and we sit around our table and look each other in the, in the eye. And uh, my daughter's um, favorite thing to do at the moment is to ask everybody what their highlight from the day was. Um, yeah, yeah, she yeah, takes great pleasure in that. And I think there is something to be said in just stopping, just sitting mm -hmm. down, looking in each other, other's eyes and talking. And, and they would be my, if I could choose to have dinner with anybody, um, mm -hmm. my, my two girls and my wife would be a, uh, be my choice of course absolutely i love that yeah. i love these moments very good, yeah. it's good. absolutely um but i just want to take it back to the beginning what was your um upbringing like and do you have a story of a teacher that really had an impact in your life yeah i think my upbringing is in kind of central denmark a very safe and trusted environment uh you know my parents were in the kind of public uh, sector, um, a nurse and a forester, and I grew up in a forest environment, like in a valley with a lot of stimulation, uh, a lot of freedom uh, to explore. Uh, my parents basically never knew what I was doing. I was just having this opportunity to roam around and build and make things, doing a lot of sports and a very local school. I think the, um, the things with these kind of local schools at that point is that teachers were doing a lot of different things. So my favorite teacher was actually my, my teacher in, in maths and mathematics, uh, who was a great mathematics teacher and who challenged me, but she was also the librarian. So, wow. uh, so she was also kind of the one who went to go into the library and always had ideas and suggestions for new books to read. But this combination of having someone who's both in math and science at the same time, a huge uh, thirst for books, that's really what inspired me to do a lot of the work I do across uh, different uh, different areas. Fantastic. And was there um, was there something that this uh, a teacher did that made you feel uh, valued or made you feel safe or, or made you feel like anything was possible? Do you remember any interactions you had with this particular teacher and how did they make you feel? I think it's uh, from, from the librarian point of view, you know, it's someone who knows what your interests are and is mm -hmm. able to inspire you. Like you have to look at that shelf or that one, that book. So guide that kind of appetite for exploring things, but also in, in ways of guiding your teaching, she was very good at differentiating uh, the math environment. So if someone got to a particular level, you're not just stuck doing the same thing. She actually let you to do particular projects outside the classroom. So yeah. I was very privileged to be able to then, when I've done with my stuff, to do uh, a little movie or go out to do some storytelling. So she basically expanded the frame of what you usually do in one kind of, uh, one kind of class. Amazing. I, and I love hearing these stories about great teachers because everybody that I have spoken to, um, mm. there is always that one teacher um, that an or, or group of teachers that has made a difference. And it's amazing yeah. that even 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years later, uh, people's eyes light up when they talk about their experience that they had with this teacher. And I think also there are those teachers that have had negative effects on us. And I think it's important to realize just how precious those interactions are between students and um and teachers. Bo, how did you get to where you are today? Um, you obviously uh, work for one of, in my view, one of the greatest companies in the world, the Lego uh, Foundation, and you're, you're uh, obviously very involved in that. But how did you get from uh, where you were at school to, to where you are today? 
That's a great question. I'll, I'll try to make that short uh, <laughs> make because my route, into this, <laughs> my route into this is probably a little unlikely, but my background is originally in a combination of design, architect and engineering, so combined yeah. different disciplines. And where I came from, from the studies was designing concert halls, performance spaces, arts and design spaces in different parts of the world, in Mexico, Austria, China, and so forth. And then I went into being a university professor to study these processes. Wow. But I think part of that journey into learning and development was basically through creativity. Hmm. Because I realized when, when you are making things and when you have to come up with new ideas, it's a fantastic a, a ability to motivate you to learn new things. Because when you have a difficult problem, you have to design something, you have to understand the context. It actually equips you to, to gather new knowledge, to learn new things, and to realize that into a practical, a practical design. So, so this idea that, that research is an integrated part of a creative process, and you actually not only need to learn a lot of things, but you have to apply practical skills to figure out how it works. So I think that led me to study more about the processes that are linked between creativity and playing and learning um, and in which way technologies then are used to enhance that. So, so I, my studies were then in, in technologies for learning uh, and later in robotics before I went into being in a Lego uh, ecosystem a little more than a decade. Fantastic. You sound like you have the, uh, the greatest job in the world. Uh, if uh you uh, are ever hiring please uh please let me know it sounds like a wonderful wonderful opportunity um you mentioned before um designing your own home why was uh designing and constructing your own home why was that so important to you and what does that home space mean to you i think there's inherently something about creating things and making things which also come from the learning theories that this is the best way to understand things. Mm. So when you build a little model of how you're feeling, or you build a little own house, or you create a little story, you're trying to make that part of your identity about, about your own lives. So when we were designing my, our own house, it became a conversation between obviously yeah. my wife and I, what are the ways that the spaces are equipped? How do we move around? Where do we socialize? What's our... Mm our tendencies to, uh, to prioritize uh, time and space. And we have a climbing tree uh, inside my house. So I took one of the trees from my old garden and put it inside the, the, our house. So every time you wake up in the morning, you can climb the tree and our kids had that since they were very young. So, so well, you understand things by creating them. So, uh, so this opportunity to create your own place is, uh, is a fantastic, or, 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 you know, renovating your own place. I think that's a, that's a fantastic process. Amazing. It sounds, it sounds absolutely amazing. I'd love to have a tree that I can climb in my house. It sounds wonderful. Um, have you, uh, are you familiar with the, uh, the circular kindergarten uh, in, um, yeah. in Tokyo? I, I did an interview. Beautiful space. It's, yeah. uh, have, have you had the privilege of going there? Have you seen that? Not, not in real, no. Have you yeah. been there? I haven't been there. I did speak to um, the architect a number of years ago and I thought it was really incredible because he said, um, in this space, we just let children run away because we know that they're going to come back because it's a circular, it's a circular yeah. place. And it, um, it really, it's one of the first um, spaces that I have seen um, that I really, um, I, I kind of got it. Like I wasn't aware before just the amazing role of architecture and design Mm. I played in learning spaces and to see such an incredible space like this or to 
to yeah. see online. I would love to go and visit it. It looks uh, it looks amazing. Maybe we'll organize a a tour at some point. Sounds great. Absolutely, I'm I'm all in. Fantastic. So, um, Bo, you mentioned when you're at school, you uh, sorry, when you're a a child, you were um, in quite a safe uh, a community, uh, a community where obviously. Um, was it a community where you were challenged to be creative? Uh, was it a community where you um, you felt like you were able to naturally engage um, in creative pursuits, um, or is that was it is it markedly different to what you're doing today? I think it's probably very different to what I'm doing today. Um, I think the, the the environment I was in was quite uh, traditional in its learning environment and the schooling. Mm. But but in Danish upbringing in school, you usually have a lot of uh, free time in the after school and and uh, and afternoon. So uh, I think the majority was spending time with friends, doing a vast amount of different sports, and then spending time building and making things. When I was uh, you know living a little bit remotely out in the forest, so I think it's mostly this ability that you have more flexibility in time that is a characteristic. So time at that point was not a scripted and not a lot of homework, but you could get your things done in school, catch a few things up, and then actually you had a lot of choice. Mm. This ability for children to deal with choice and figure out what they can do with whom and how and dive into challenging problems on their own, I think is critical. So I had that opportunity. I'm not sure I was you know, overly creative in doing tons of different projects, but I was able to choose among a lot of different things in my environment. Fantastic. It sounds like a wonderful, um, sounds like a wonderful upbringing. Do you, like, what is the, like, what's actually the role of play? I mean, I think, I know with my children, um, we're living in a very, they're living in a very different world to the world that I grew up in. And I think, um, yeah, so what's the significance of play and how can we create these opportunities for young people to engage uh, in creativity and play? The one key thing about play that people sometimes forget is that it's our main vehicle for learning and development. Yeah. So when children are born into this world as infants, they're thrown into a world of uncertainty. You know, they don't know what's hitting them, you know, um, what is out there. Mm -hmm. um, so they use play to touch and feel and sense and experiment to figure out how the world works. Yeah. So play is our developmental mechanisms to deal with uncertainty, wow. to grow our mechanisms and our skills to be able to, you know, not only talk and walk and, and, and so forth, but to regulate our emotions, to keep attention. Um, so what's been very critical nowadays is that we need to keep growing that ability to keep being flexible because the brain grows and matures rapidly in the first five years and it continues to be a little bit flexible into adolescence. But at some point, we become more like fixed mindsets. Yeah. And play is that opportunity to be flexible, to try new things or try mm -hmm. just a little thing that is a little different. Uh, and that's our ability to be open-minded and to learn new things. So, you know, developmentally, it is kind of the main mechanism for, for learning. That is to play and experiment. Yeah. Do you think that play is a, is a child's natural state? Are we, uh, for example, are we teaching children how to play or are we just teaching children to, re to return to what they are naturally able to do? Uh, I think it's both. So, uh, so it is a natural part of human evolution that children had this urge to explore and be curious and try out things. 
but children of different personalities diff- need different kind of support. So mm. some children need more support for exploring and other people, other children needs uh, less support. So I think there is a role absolutely for, for some guidance, for reflection, and, and particular for equipping an environment that is full of opportunities. I think that's most important because sometimes we narrow the opportunities for children instead of widening them. So as soon as we come from early years and into school, uh, you know, children need to be taught, you know, in the same way at the same time, uh, using the same kind of knowledge. And that means it narrow kind of the opportunities for each child to figure out what are they good at? Uh, what can they become? So it's really about, you know, stimulating and widening the, widening the opportunities and then reflect on children what they're good at. So that, that's something we have to keep attention to also as adults. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm just curious, Bo, how are some of the ways uh, that you still incorporate uh, play into your life as an adult? Uh, surely you're, you're busy and you've got a lot of things going on, uh, but how on earth do you make sure that that stays an essential part of your life as a responsible uh, grown-up? So, so the most important for me is that I keep being you know, open-minded and curious yeah. So this ability to not be too fixed on one's ideas and then always ask questions and question yourself. So every time I, you know, I come across a new type of insight, a new book, I'm trying to figure out how that works and try to be a little skeptical towards what I knew in the past. So this ability to learn and unlearn is, uh, is quite important. Then getting experiences, like throwing yourself into something that you're not really sure whether you can do. And that can be anything. It could well you take a walk in part of your neighborhood that I often do, but I haven't been before, or you know, try to learn a new kind of uh, sport, uh, or do something a little bit uh, unusual I haven't done before. So that this, this ability is extremely important. And then I think the best way to do that, even proven by science, is to observe children. Yeah. So there's such a lot of you know stimulation we can get from understanding how children just you know try things out you know the mess around in the wardrobe turn yeah. the, the plants upside down and figure out why are they doing that they're, they're trying to figure out how things work so children ask these amazing questions and if yeah. i'm really stuck i usually ask my children what, what do you think about this what would you do amazing that 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 sounds wonderful is there something that you are currently uh struggling with or wrestling with is there a new skill that you're trying to adopt is there an idea that you're uh, uh that currently challenges your assumptions is there something that you are that you are struggling your way through at the moment I, there's always a, a few parallel things that i'm trying to to work my way through but but i'm fascinated about the idea about learning new languages so yeah, yeah. so uh, so and I know it's not, you know, a theoretical didactic uh, exercise. So I try to, to, to learn Spanish in, in uh, right now. And uh, the good thing is I can learn it from my children also a little bit. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's certainly something I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to do. Uh, more professionally, um, we're trying to figure out also how we can get children more involved in decision-making. So how do we actually begin to l- like sincerely listen to children offer them opportunities to express ideas, but actually taking seriously the opinions and ideas they have to improve the environments we're in. And that's a particular, you know, strand of research that's getting much more attention uh, because children's views are rarely represented in the way we form and shape uh, our, our education systems. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds an amazing space, uh, amazing um, area of research. And 
I find it fascinating when we come to curriculum design and school design that quite often we don't ask the clients and bearing in mind the clients are our children um, about yeah. how they would like to learn, how they would like to construct learning. Um, and we will get into um, some questions about curriculum design and, and, and all of that uh, in a moment. But I did just want to uh, read uh, a, a quote to you from uh, the Lego Foundation because I am fascinated with what you get to do uh, with Lego. And it's and the quote is, we're here to convince the grown-ups because play is something that every child everywhere in the world can do. It fuels curiosity, sparks creativity, and inspires a lifelong love of learning. Children who pick play, uh, sorry, children who pick up play pick up all kinds of skills to thrive today and lay the foundations for a happier, healthier life tomorrow. And as I mentioned, that is a quote from the Lego Foundation. And so what is your role with the Lego Foundation and what are some of the projects that you are currently involved in? So my main role, <laughs> yeah. um, so my main role is to help articulate the science behind the Lego idea. Mm. So I think most people know about, you know, the Lego bricks and how it means yeah. about building things, yeah. building amazing models, but also to, you know, unbuild and rebuild uh, materials. But that idea is really based on a learning philosophy also that deals about that when you build and make things and take it apart and rebuild it, you actually keep attention using the materials, you problem solve to build something new, but also you reflect and learn uh, through that process. So what I've been trying to do and what we're working on the foundation is trying to put attention to what are the key characteristics in that process. Yeah. But children are actively engaged. They're not sitting passively and just waiting for things to happen. They're actually doing stuff. They are motivated and engaged and keeping attention, but they're also testing and trying out different strategies. They're yeah. not just repeating things. So my, way, my, my main role is to figure out what are these kinds of characteristics that we can learn from mm. children and then try to uh, share these views and these insights with not only designers and parents, in particular teachers, but also governments and decision makers to say, well, children's learning and playing is actually overlapping in so many different ways. So when we talk about learning approaches, it's also about play, but we can define these characteristics and we can stimulate them. Yeah. It sounds like the honestly the world's best job. Um, it, you get to um, get to really be at the forefront, the forefront of um, uh, what we are doing, what we should be doing in education systems, and to get to to get to work with Lego sounds like an absolute dream. Is it as good as it sounds? Um, is it the best job in the world? And you can edit this out afterwards if you would like. I, I, I must say, I absolutely feel like I have the best job in the world. Um, and it is a combination of it having a lot of opportunities, but also being difficult because yeah. trying to figure out how one take a concept as play and broaden it into childhood education and to adults is a pretty challenging effort and high ambition. Uh, but we have such an opportunity to, to make this more part of our everyday lives. Yeah. Uh, not only as children but as adults so yeah I, that's a that's a huge privilege do you think we're at a um a pivotal point now uh, globally in terms of education where we're asking some of those big questions about the purpose and the role of schools and what it should look like um where do you where do you see this going is there a, is there a trend happening at the moment there's a there's a few different trends uh, happening and i think to start with, with one that you hinted towards that, uh, you know, the main, you would say customers, the main, main clients of education are children. And yeah. I think we're beginning to realize that that is the case. 
yeah. you're not you know delivering education to parents uh, it's not for the purpose of uh, governments it is to figure out are children enjoying the learning environments that we are providing to them so that is important now because when we've seen during COVID that some children have been disconnected some had technologies uh, we actually have seen also with governments that people ask, how do you engage children in the learning process? How do you create an excitement for learning? So if children are not excited, if they don't enjoy it, you know, nothing else matters. So that's the first thing that education systems will be increasingly guided by children's engagement and motivation. And the second one, I think, is we're looking into a much more uh, integrated understanding between skills, as we usually call them, and knowledge. So it's usually been articulated as education is about, you know, curriculum goals and uh, understanding the content and the knowledge. Uh, and then people have thought about, you know, skills are important to apply that knowledge. But what this actually illustrates to us is it's much more integrated. If children are not safe, not supported, not, you know, um, mentally present, they cannot keep attention. If you don't have any friends in school, if they're not able to collaborate, they don't learn as well. So what it really illustrates is that there's a broad range of holistic skills that actually enhance, you know, the understanding of concepts and principles and so forth. So it's an integrated perspective, knowledge and skills. Yeah. And then I, I think what this leads us to, I think as a trend is, we have to take seriously a much more differentiated approach to education. We cannot say that this is kind of the new, the, the new kind of uh, silver bullet to education, but that we are actually able to differentiate in a way that some children actually appreciate the, the more independence and actually can drive a lot of experiences. Other children need more guidance, need more support, yeah. need more presence. But if we think that there's only one way to do education, uh, then it becomes, uh, becomes a, little, a little difficult. So instead, you know, there are many ways to teach. There are many ways to support children. And that's what we're figuring out right now. How do we set up education system that create these many paths? Yeah. Are there any, um, Bo, are there any education systems that you look to um, as great examples of this? Um, I imagine that in your role uh, before COVID, you would get to travel quite extensively and see what other people are doing. So are there any uh, takeaways we can take from other education systems around the world? There's a lot of great educational systems, there's not a lot, there are great educational systems, but I think the, the best examples we are finding actually from communities. Yeah. So, so we, could, we could point to like great aspirations in Finland or in Estonia or in mm -hmm. Ireland, uh, where they have creative forms of education. So we can see emerging trends, New Zealand, different places where the policy environments are equipped for citizenship, for breadth of different skills, and really have the trust in teachers to be flexible to carry that through. And that's what we're beginning to, to, to roll out in Denmark. But when it comes to practical circumstances, it really depends on the school leader. Yeah. The particular kind of support that the school leader has this vision yeah. for educational learning, that there actually is something that is holistic, that is differentiated, and that they provide that space, flexibility, and professional development to the teachers. Yeah. So we can find a great you know, government uh, environment or a bad one, but in some pockets, there are some schools who work closely with the community and provide that kind of vision uh, and flexibility. Amazing. It, it is, um, in my view, the most exciting time in history to be involved in education because some of these questions that we're asking, I know uh, COVID has been um, really, really difficult for so many people and really tragic, but I believe it has forced us to ask some questions about what are the foundational components of a school system? What's the purpose mm -hmm. of education? And um, 
I I think it's a really exciting time uh, to be uh, to be alive and to be engaged in our profession. And I'm just interested, um, Bo, how do you uh, how do you view assessment, and what role does assessment play in education systems? So. It's a very good question, and right now it's actually one of our key priorities because we figured out that assessments are one of the key driving mechanisms to, 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 to change education systems. Um, assessments are incredibly important, but what we realize is they serve different purposes. So traditionally, you know, assessments might have been thought about more as an accountability function, like is the school, is the system, is the uh, teacher able to to support uh, uh, children through an average of learning and, and standardized tests. And they serve particular formats, but we don't think they're most conducive to setting up a learning environment. So they might have a particular role, standardized tests at some point, but they're basically becoming too much about high stakes, uh, making sure you, you kind of elevate to the next level of our school system. So what we prefer is more assessments that are conducive to learning. And that's something that happens integrated as part of the classroom. So when children give feedback to each other, when they describe what they are learning in a drawing, in physical materials, in a project, whether on the wall or in a platform where people can give feedback, or when children invent their own kinds of assessments, wow. it's pretty fascinating that children actually, you know, they kind of know what you need to learn. So they can even set up their own kind of multiple choice tests and like test each other to become small games. But you need to hand over the agency of assessment for children, and then they are beginning to optimize and, and drive the learning process. So I think we have to differentiate between the assessments that are mostly for accountability at the system level and probably reduce them a little bit, uh, and then figure out to broaden and diversify assessment to a much greater degree. Because at this point, assessment is also an equity challenge. If yeah. we assess only yeah. in one way, at one time, at one particular, you know, 45 minutes, only through writing, you know, you would actually marginalize a lot of children have a, a, a wide range of other strengths. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm really interested, um, Bo, in your work um, with uh, the designing the creative thinking assessment tool of Slow Framework for PISA. Would you yeah. mind um, maybe spending a little bit of time uh, unpacking that and how on earth do we assess uh, creativity uh, with young people or, or do we need to assess creativity with young people? You are pointing to the, to the absolutely core question, do we need to assess it? And that was the first thing we reflected upon when we began to advise into to this, uh, this area. And we came to the conclusion that we have to. It's, it's part of our process to change the mindset of a standardized system to a differentiated system. So let's imagine that creativity is the outcome of education, which means the children are equipped to come out of education system with many different ideas, coming up with many different strategies to approach a problem and being able to apply this thinking to solve particular problems or challenges in society. So the whole idea about having creativity, a diverse amount of ideas as an outcome of education is extremely tempting. Then what comes to be the challenge is how you then figure out ways to assess that. And the key thing here is that when we deal with assessments in schools of the children, we have to be very practical. So actually what is coming is very practical activities. Let's imagine that you are going to mix your favorite smoothie. So you're giving actually a bunch of different ingredients and then you have to figure out how to mix that to come up with a unique smoothie and you have to figure out how that tastes and how that is a value to someone else. Or you're designing a t-shirt 
based off different, or you are trying to figure out ways that you can get the, your, the leaves that is lying on your front porch away from your, from your entry. So there's a particular problem or particular situation you have to deal with. That becomes a way of measuring how many different ideas can you come up with? How do you approach that problem and, and solve it in, in different ways? So it can be done in practical ways. What we offered here is a crucial thing as part of assessment and creativity in particular is about iteration. It means that if you come up with an idea, you are allowed to observe and reflect on that idea and then adjust and change your, your idea. So the ability to observe other people's ideas, learn from it, and then improve your own, uh, your own solution is critical. So what's embedded is actually part of play is experimenting. So it's just not one process, not linear. You're getting this task, come up with as many ideas and solve a problem, but ah, maybe I've learned this, mm -hmm. I give a comment, I reflect on that, now I'm gonna change my solution. Yeah. I think this would be a driving mechanism for a range of different alternative approaches. And finally, I must say, what I find most exciting about creativity is, we think a lot about you know, knowledge and, and uh, different skills, social, emotional, and you know, cognitive and so forth. Creativity is the one thing that embraces all of these skills. Mm. Because if you have to come up with a new idea or solve a particular problem, it's actually pretty, pretty intense, pretty challenging. So emotionally, you have to regulate in a different ways. You gain much more if you collaborate and learn from others. You have to be immense, uh, able to keep attention. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of these sub skills that are embedded in your ability to come up and even 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 uh, uh, small ideas or, or, or solve simple problems. So it actually becomes an umbrella for a lot of our things that we, we hope that children can can learn from. Yeah, it, it's so um, I have so many, so many questions about that. It, it's really um, exciting. And I know that when my um, when I take the time with my students to plan really engaging hands on um, experiences, uh, engagement, well being, learning, assessment, all of those things seem to take care of themselves. And I know I have a saying with my team uh, that I work with that we, that we plan hard and we teach easy. Um, we take the time um, initially to do the planning and to make sure our uh, learning um, activities are engaging. And then the teaching, sorry, the learning then takes care of itself. It's really wonderful to step back and observe these incredible interactions with kids. And I also know that if I am not, uh, prepared or if I haven't planned, then the teaching is really, really difficult and really hard. Um, and so I think creating these wonderful experiences. So, uh, is so I, I, I think that's an extremely good point. And yeah. I probably haven't, haven't, can't be said enough because the planning you're putting into it is actually giving you so much more rewards in terms of the teaching environment. Because usually we sometimes tend to go into teaching with little planning because we don't have time or we mm. just do it as we usually do. And then it becomes more instructive. But exactly as you say, when we're dealing with more guidance projects and problem-based learning or experiential forms of learning, actually there's a lot of up, upfront planning, but the rewards come back because you can have a different role in the classroom. Yeah. You can empower many more children in work in different ways. So, yeah. so it's, a, it's a different process, but it, it, the learning is so much deeper. Absolutely. Um, but what do you think the, the role of the teacher is now? Or what do you see that changing to uh, in the future? The, 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 there is a, a few different uh, answers to that question. And the one is a, it's a more simple one and the other is a more complex one. I, I think that the starting point for, for what we see right now is that it's so incredibly critical to have a teacher that is able to differentiate 
the types of learning and approaches and teaching approach that happens in the classroom. So the ability to some children need instruction, some need guidance, some can do with a little game to get started. Other actually can, can do a lot with more free forms of play. So the, the, the teacher is so critical to have the flexibility and time and space and opportunity to differentiate that kind of instruction to the individual child. But what it also becomes critical for teachers, they're kind of in the middle right now. You have these high ambitions of governments that have certain kind of aims and uh, you know, acceleration or broader skills. And then you have parents. So they need to become the mediator between the high expectations of a government and then the specific expectations of the parents. And that is kind of a mediating role with the community that is becoming even more difficult. But what it leads to, I think, is that teachers will require to become more like guides. So what it means, you know, a teacher cannot take on all the responsibilities that we're trying to, to, to expect of them, like knowledge and skills and, uh, you know, differentiated forms of personality and so forth. But they will be able to guide a child's inquisitiveness and interest by saying, well, maybe you could figure out exploring this topic by finding a game or exploring this kind of book, or you can go to the science center, or you can meet. So I think when we look towards the future of education, it would be more like an ecosystem of different services that would be available. And the teacher would help the child to say, well, you need more help and I can figure out these resources. But actually here is a particular type of technology of friends you can collaborate to explore this topic. So, so what we're trying to figure out is how can we begin to think about this as a much more a community effort that really support the teachers to develop that, uh, that, that service around the child. Absolutely. And, and to take it um, uh, more broadly as well, what do you think the role, and there's some very broad uh, questions for you, so thank you for uh, taking the time to answer them so meticulously. Um, what are the, what's the role of governments and government policy? Because um, in Australia, um, we work in a, a heavily regulated um, environment, an environment which is, uh, especially at the moment, always everyone has an opinion and a thought on how things should be done. And sometimes it can feel really difficult to find that space to actually do our jobs. So how important do you, or what the role is the role of the government and policy uh, to be able to create those spaces that are optimal for learning? Because mm. it's a really so, difficult environment, I think, to work in sometimes. It is a very difficult environment with a lot of different expectations. And I, I think that the most important point for, for government is to support a more holistic vision towards education that education is about not being individually competent, uh, but being able to have citizens who are able to make a difference for the community. And that involves a breadth of different skills. Yeah. So we can do much more if governments would not only say, but actually support that social, emotional, and creative forms of development need to be enhanced education. And that would become the outcome. Yeah. So if, if these are the outcomes, I'm sure teachers would be thrilled to say actually, don't need to be measured on each of all of these outcomes, but there's breadth to say children should have many ideas with education. We should be able to really enforce, not as a competitive environment, the students competing against each other, but collaborating. So that, that is the main mechanism is to change that kind of incentive model from education uh, and, and all the way down. And then I think the second point, which seems to be here, is that we need to trust much more in the in the education we provide to teachers and give them a flexibility. 
because yeah. a lot of governments worldwide I've seen now have quite strict guidelines and they go in and observe the class and figure out if teaching and doing it right. I think there's a lot of these resources that could be channeled to other kind of uh, other kind of opportunities to give them flexibility to say, you know, these are the expectations. You actually absolutely know what that is. If we can provide the flexibility for uh, where you cheat and how you cheat, and then give more breadth to that, so it doesn't need to become forty-five minute lectures in the curriculum scripted at at, at each week. I think that would help uh, enormously. And then for for generally, the only things that obviously work is um, professional development. Yeah. So creating communities for, for teachers to meet, be inspired by other teachers and uh, have coaching opportunities. So yeah. the professional development integrated there is, is, is critical. Uh, but it, I think that the, the broader vision of education is, is uh, really important to have. Absolutely. And you, you touched briefly on um, uh, the role of teacher professional learning um, and how important that is to get that right um, at the university level. Uh, but what do you think, what are some of the qualities that we should be looking for um, when considering uh, training people to be teachers? The willingness and the courage to experiment. Yeah. That is absolutely crucial. And I think we've seen that, particularly during this phase of COVID, that it's actually the same characteristics we expect from play and from young children. Mm. That you know, teachers are actively engaged. They are trying to figure out what's meaningful for them, what's interesting to them, and how can they test and try out different solutions. Because when we look at what defines teacher quality, some look at it from teacher instruction and some from free play. But the benefits mm. come from working in the middle spectrum of guidance. You're setting up problems and projects or experiential forms of learning where you have opportunities and materials and you become a reflective uh, partner with the students but that is kind of middle space between linear instruction and free play but it's particular competence you develop and you can only development if you encourage experimentation so so particularly around the use of technologies we have seen is yeah. children teachers you know professional development is not about getting a new course and then being equipped to know this new way of teaching no you have to giving the freedom and opportunity to experiment with technologies to try things out and fail and do that with children and, and being, you know, mentored by other teachers. So, so that it's, it's, you know, in Denmark, it's, um, it's an, a playful learning we are implementing where teachers have play labs. Yeah. They actually have physical materials and technologies allowing them to experiment. Amazing. Because else they can't develop their own activities. Else they just take, you know, what they have and they're so busy to just take the curriculum and teach it direct didactically. But if you have materials and they can experiment, you're giving this opportunity to develop something new. Gosh, it's, it's so exciting. Um, and, and I think you also talked briefly about the importance of trust and creating an environment in which uh, mistakes can be made um, and mm -hmm. also things can be, can be trialed and tested. And um, how important do you think um, leadership, school leadership is in creating those environments where teachers feel as though they can take risks they can play, they can make mistakes, and they can, um, in many cases, fail. Is that a really important feature of great schools? I think the, uh, the evidence is pretty clear that uh, if you have the leadership that provides that professional development and trust, as you mentioned, it actually increases the, the knowledge acquisition and learning environment for the uh, students. So there's a direct relationship between the school leadership through the teachers into into uh, into children but there's a key mechanism that is important it is the trust and support for professional development but what we really care for is also that school leaders need to understand what quality is 
they need to be able to go through the classroom and say, oh, these children are actually raising questions. They are collaborating, they're experimenting. That is what I understand as quality, because if they direct a kind of a traditional uh, mindset about quality, teachers will have that expectation in mind and not be able to have that flexibility when they're able to address the different children. So, um, so there's a lot of you know, support in terms of the vision and the resources. But at the end of the day, we all need to have this shared understanding of what is the quality when we see children engaged. Yeah, absolutely. I was doing an interview recently um, with a gentleman called Dr. Adam Fraser, and he talked about, um, mm. he said, by far, uh, being a school principal is the hardest job that we have ever come across. And I think it is an incredibly mm. difficult yep. job because you have the administrative responsibilities, yeah. you have the teaching and learning, and to be able to keep that, that those uh, a foot in both camps, I think, is incredibly challenging but I know for myself as a school leader uh, getting back to the basics and asking questions and saying are the children learning are they engaged are they mm. asking questions is so important and I think as a school leader the most important thing that I can do is actually to be in classrooms and interacting with students not a yep. not formal program documents um so yeah. yeah really 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 interesting well and we'll uh, like i said put a link to all of uh, the resources that you talk about in the show notes because i'm sure there will be so many um questions um that people have so apart from um so briefly you mentioned the uh the covid19 pandemic and some of the impacts that it's had on schools and um, is there anything else that you think this ongoing pandemic has taught us about the role of schools and the necessity of the jobs that teachers do I think the, the the key role, as discussed here, is a differentiated form of education that we need. Mm. And what seems to be one of the key ways to do that is to re-establish a dialogue between schools and homes and schools yes. and the community. And I think that's what we've seen. It's something really to build on. You know, in many ways, it's been painful to have these ongoing interactions between teachers and school yeah. leaders and parents. On the other hand, it also begins to you know, commit everyone to kind of a shared responsibility for children's uh, engagement, enjoyment and learning, no matter if they're in a school or out of school. So, you know, children learn so immensely from the after school, from the science centers, from the outdoor, as well as from the in-school classroom and from the home environment. But we often don't talk about learning as the thing goes on outside of the classroom. So I think the transitioning to see schools is integrated with the community and keep that dialogue going I think that would be uh, that would be essential for the for the next phase. Yeah, and are you confident um, that school systems can learn these lessons, or do you think uh, we will just spring back into old habits? So I've really thought a lot about that question, and even done some research about it. And oh, uh, I'm a I'm a visiting scholar at Harvard University right now, uh, and I and I found an an, an old paper who, who revisited these uh, thoughts. And I must say, it's a pretty interesting point right now. If one look at pandemics, you know, wars, all the kinds of crises throughout the past 150 years history of schools, it's very usually you know, people have pivoted back to traditional forms of education after each crisis. So what all of this relies on is our ability to nurture particular kinds of innovations. There are some innovations that happens after Second World War, like Montessori and Radio Media schools and so forth. So it is really important right now that we don't go back and say the old school system worked and we just need to get back on track. 
Instead, we need to figure out ways, what are the key motivating, what are the drivers of teachers' engagement, students' engagement, and then build these small innovations into how we rethink education. Because if we don't use this opportunity to innovate, you know, we are keep failing our, our, our children and also our teachers. You know, teachers are not necessarily motivated right now. And there's a huge opportunity to, to broaden that space. So are you are you quietly confident that we will be able to do this? Um, yeah. I, I am quietly. I'm always pretty optimistic be, uh, yes. from, from, from the, the decision makers I meet and the examples I see. I think it's uh, to make this work at scale. That's where we really need to do an effort. Uh, there's a lot of great places that exist right now, emerged here during COVID and after COVID. But I really care for reaching every child. And I think it's a shame that we let some children behind and say they just need to catch up or they come from an environment where they don't have the support. So making work for everyone, that's the effort, but also I'm, I'm optimistic around the examples that exist. Yeah, I think you uh, you have to be optimistic, otherwise you are in the wrong, uh, the wrong profession. Um, but what is something uh, that you're currently working on uh, that's exciting at the Lego Foundation? Well, something which has your attention and that you are really, really proud of that you're currently doing? I think what we are beginning to do right now in terms of understanding the, the, the US environment and US education uh, mm -hmm. and how we can equip children for, for, for doing circumstances of equity is uh, really proud of that piece. So what we have defined recently is children's play from the age of three to five, six year olds is actually the main mechanism to address inequality. Wow. So, so we have the, the studies and the examples very clearly spelled out across 14 different countries to illustrate if children play more across different forms of play, they're much more equipped to learn, to keep attention, to engage in problem solving. So play should be the main mechanism in which we teach in the early years. And what the recent studies now also shows is that guided forms of play is actually better than traditional forms of instruction also yeah. for academic topics. So that knowledge we're trying to address into the huge uh, you know, inequalities we see uh, right now. So, uh, so we are beginning to flesh that out um, in, in, in US as a starting point also, but in, in many other places and countries we operate. Fantastic. It, it sounds so, so interesting uh, what you are involved in. And you, you briefly talked at the beginning of our conversation about some of the equity challenges around play. And also, I know this was a number of years ago, but you worked really closely with UNICEF uh, to get um, uh, Lego blocks uh, to <laughs> children to try and encourage them to, to play and to engage. Would you mind just spending a few moments talking about some of those equity issues um, and also talking about the project that you're involved in uh, in UNICEF? Because it sounds absolutely fascinating. We are involved with UNICEF on a, on a range of different fronts and uh, particularly around enabling parents to think about ways they can use everyday materials and the environment mm. for children to, to play. So what are the kinds of conversations, responsiveness you can do using materials? Um, it comes down to, you know, play and using materials in, your, in the environment is your main vehicle for having conversations with children. They use materials to illustrate how they think and feel, uh, how they keep attention and how they problem solve. So, so we, are, we are launching, you know, uh, play uh, everyday play activities also on our own website that can equip any parent to get started uh, using what they have in their environment. So it, it's, it's materials, you know, whatever you have to represent your thinking and feeling. Um, and then there's this conversation that parents have 
uh, around the materials with their children. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a campaigning uh, thing we're doing. But it also leads into then, how do you create the space uh, and the breadth for parents to participate in young children's uh, education? Because many parents are so extremely busy mm. uh, or, or don't have the kind of surplus to be able to engage with children. Uh, so that's also kind of a, a big you know, policy, um, uh, a policy priority we need to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that uh, point, Bo, how, how do I uh, engage in play better with my own children? Uh, because they will be finishing at daycare at five o'clock tonight, will be racing around, getting dinner, going swimming, um, having a bath, reading a story, getting into bed. And at some point, they're going to need to do homework as well when they start school. So how do I create these this is just advice from dad to dad how do i engage and create these experiences for my own children to to play and is it quantity or quality or where do i where do i start it's absolutely about quality you know mm. when we look at the brain it remembers things that have intensity intensity and engagement and agency so where you have choices where your child has choices where you have positive moments so the starting point is to smile and be positive you know that's always you know uh asking you know emotionally about uh, how your child is doing um the second thing is to try to change one thing try to do one thing different is always helpful so let's say you are taking your child from daycare and you try to maybe take a different route away home from school and try to observe if you notice any different or the child notices anything different right. or you're trying to when you do dinner or the breakfast, try to, you know, replace one thing at the breakfast and say, what, what could we do one thing different here? So I think building in these small surprises, small changes does need to be radical because that is where you invite children to say, well, we could actually do this instead. Can we taste the difference? Or we can try to, you know, read the from the backwards of the story instead, or what would this picture show? But this openness to just having these small surprises is actually extremely helpful to have conversations uh, also. Uh, so I think this opening up for alternatives um, is uh, with, with being positive is, uh, is a good starting point. Fantastic. I will, uh, I'll let you know how that goes tonight when I uh, pick my children up and, and take them on a different route mm -hmm. home. But as you mentioned um, a little bit before, um, We've really tried to create those uh, those moments in our own family because um, mm -hmm. we're both working full time. It's incredibly busy, and there's always stuff that you you can and probably should be doing. But to create those moments where our phones go away, where we look mm -hmm. in the eyes of our, our children and talk to them and engage them, and um, it's been really wonderful in our own uh, family to create those new habits and those new yeah. um, those new ways of doing things. Um, mm. So uh, I will definitely be trying some of those things uh, tonight mm. when I pick them up. Um, so, Bo, just a few more questions. I, I do want to be I'm conscious of your time and I'm incredibly grateful that you would uh, speak to me today. Um, what would you like your legacy uh, to be? What would you like to be remembered for um, at the end of your career? A very deep philosophical question, I know. I feel pretty grateful already that the things I've been able to engage with, uh, you know, whether it's uh, in, in design, architecture, whether it's a social impact we're doing worldwide. So I don't have a, a necessity to have a, a big legacy beyond that. Um, but I would say that much of what we discussed is about enabling a more creative form of education. I think we've talked about that for the past 60 years and many have had great visions for it. 
but really demonstrating that children can succeed in many different ways through education using project and problem-based learning, experiential forms of learning. That's absolutely crucial for me to see that that can happen at scale and equip teachers for it. And the main you know, measure for that seems to be pretty straightforward. It's whether you ask children, do you enjoy learning in school? And I think when we look at the current stats and you ask children and adolescents about that, you know, more than 60% of young people are disengaged. You know, 27% are actively disengaged. And I think that's, a, you know, a disaster. It's like whether my colleagues in the company, like more than 60% was trying to get away from the company. You know, if we have that mindset, you know, I would really love that when we ask children 10 years from now to enjoy learning in school, let's say they feel supported, they have belonging, they really enjoy learning. In many of the circumstances we see right now, children are want to go back to school to be safe, mm. to meet their friends, to uh, be around familiar environments, which is great, but they should enjoy learning. They should be curious. Mm. Yeah, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a benchmark that I hope we can improve. Absolutely. I couldn't think of anything more um, worthy to commit your life to than that. So thank you for uh, thank you for taking the time. And one final question, uh, but where can we find out more about you? And where can we follow the amazing work that uh, Lego is doing as well? So my work is part of the, you know, all the incredible work that Lego Foundation is doing. So you should, you should follow the Lego Foundation. We have uh, the learningthroughplay.com with activities and materials and research reports. Um, and we are just upgrading also some of the speaks and materials I'm doing, but also follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn and other places. But uh, but but start with the, the Lego Foundation website, learningthroughplay.com. Fantastic. Um, both thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all um, of the work that you're doing um, uh, to benefit our wonderful children and to uh, to invest into our incredible profession, uh, and also for taking the time to to chat with me today. I really really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Likewise, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.